Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Well, let me talk to you. Yeah, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more. You are tuned into the entertainment edition of the ODPH, and we definitely want to keep that conversation going after the show. So, Pat, where does everybody head on over to? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over to the website, sign up, join in, and interact with all the social media accounts. Everything's been updated, so you definitely are going to be going to the right spot, no matter whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll be having that conversation going on in between episodes, as we always do. Also, while you're there, check out the T Public Store link. A lot of deals are happening right now because it mm-hmm. is the holiday season. Yeah. You never know when a sale is going to pop up. So if you want to go get some ODPH swag, now is the perfect time to do it. So make sure to click on the link and check it out. Also, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash ODPH podcast. One tier, $2 a month. Bonus content is right there for you. Definitely have a lot of things lined up going into 2024. Uh, rumor has it, uh, everything on the Patreon is all that in a bag of chips. That's what we've been told. Rumor has it. That's the rumor, because rumor has it. Uh-huh. So definitely sign up and go check it out and find out for yourself. Also, check out the blog section. Check out the directory pad. How many providers are we on? 127,000. Sounds about right to me. I don't question. That's why he is the statistician to the stars. Also, check out the Classified section, which has friends of the show, such as 3FN Podcast, Dragon Master Games, Nerd Initiative. Holy smokes. Nerd Initiative has a lot of things going on. Yeah, they do. One of which has been the uh, is now the annual Cheersies Awards show that you know from Cheers to Comics Podcast. Shout out to our guy, Brian Wayne. Him and I have always done that award show for the past few years. This year is now coming to Nerd Initiative. And let me tell you, the initial votes out of the gate have been setting some records. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of people voting, which is amazing to see. So make sure to cast your vote for this year's Best of the Best in Comics 2023. We'll be doing the live award show on Turn a Page, Nerd Initiative YouTube and social networks on 8 p.m. Tuesday, January 2nd, Eastern Standard Time. Uh-huh. So cast your votes right now. And if you see a candidate up there that are you think that should be on there, we have the write-in option as well. I'll say I'm looking at the candidates right now, and a lot of these are stacked uh, categories, especially uh, the Marvel ca- series category. I mean, I've read probably half of these series that are in this category, and good luck trying to pick one over the others. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about it, that when we were trying to put the list together, and we'll go into a little more detail and turn a page this week, this was very, very difficult to do. Yeah. And I know that we left some books on the cutting room floor, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that's why we always put the write-in option. So if you think that your favorite title or favorite creator should be in there, definitely throw it in there. And you never know what's going to happen because the voting, like I say, is happening very fast right now. So you want to make sure you get your votes in. And voting is live until December 21st. Yes. So make sure you keep that in mind. And Also, we should note there is no limit on voting. You can vote as many times as you can click. As of right now, yes. Yeah. Unless something crazy happens where 
we, we, you know, we have a, like a bot issue of some sort that yeah, we need. Yeah, don't do that. Don't don't be a, a jerk. Yeah, exactly. And also, if it's a comic skate book, we are automatically disqualifying that. Just putting that out there. So definitely, if you want to find out about all that, the music section, which is a you know obviously has got great bands such as Brian Wolf and the Howlers. Floodlands, who has new music coming out this week. I saw the album cover. It looks really good. Yeah, it looks very, very interesting. So I'm definitely excited to see what they have coming out. Shout out the Robots and Tom Jolu, who just played a show this past weekend. Heard nothing but rave reviews for it. Unfortunately, we were doing the Survivor Series post-show, so I could not make it. But rest assured, I'm definitely trying to make it out to see those guys play it because they are phenomenal musicians. Second suitor. The list goes on and on. Basically, if it's anything and everything that is ODPH, you can find it at odphpodcast.com. And always remember on social media to use the hashtag... Page Pod, kicking off the entertainment edition of the show is a big return. Yeah, it is. It's not CM Punk. <laughs> we'll be talking about that on the sports show this week. It's not even the biggest return in WWE this week. No, it is not. But we do have a return of one of the most well-known icons in pop culture. The longest-running sci-fi series in television history. Mm-hmm. And Pad... Who returned to the small screen this week? Well, it's, it's appropriate you phrase it that way because it's exactly who. It's uh, Doctor Who specifically. And this is, of course, uh, the start of the three-part special that is the 60th anniversary special, which is hard to believe because it came up in my Facebook memories like a couple of weeks or maybe about a month or so ago about how now at the time – 10 years ago was the 50th, obviously. And I was away at college and going off college television, which understandably didn't have BBC America. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I need to find some way to watch this because there's no way, given the gravity of what happened with the 50th special, I'm going to be able to avoid spoilers for like the next month until I get home and I'm able to watch the special. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I found a legal way to watch the broadcast but it's hard to believe that we're already 10 years removed from that special and now into the 60th well it's the one thing about this fan base that has kept this character alive for so long Mm -hmm. it's a very smart written show and definitely pushes a lot of boundaries that you don't find in your normal sci-fi shows yeah and the great acting and writing that's happened throughout the years has really kept this fan base locked in Mm -hmm. and obviously with the changing of the doctor yeah it's always a big story that happens in pop culture about who is going to be taking over the the title role. Mm-hmm. And this one, for the time being anyway, we have a returning member of the Doctor Who family. Yeah, uh, that would be one David Tennant and Catherine Tate as playing the Doctor and Donna Noble, respectively. Yes, very much of big fan favorites of the fandom and exciting to see him back. Uh, David Tennant is my favorite doctor. David Tennant is also my Matt Smith close second. Um, Also, we got to mention it is a return of writer producer, Russell T Davies, who worked on doctor who from its reboot reboot in 2005 through 2010. uh, And he's now back in the writing and producing chair. Yes. So there's a lot of things that are happening now to usher in the new era of doctor who. Mm hmm. And it kicks off with a series of shorts, if you will. A three-part. Uh, it's like it's like a three-part movie, I guess you could say. Uh, you you got to figure one's going to tie into the next, into the next, and then you know you're finally going to get them because we know who's going to be playing the next Doctor. You know the reveal has happened. This mm-hmm. this isn't going to be a sort of thing like they did with the fiftieth, where that was the first time you saw any hint of. Uh, uh, I forget the actor's name. I'll have to look it up. But who played the doctor after Matt Smith? Oh, uh, Peter Capaldi. Thank you, Peter. You know that you saw Peter Capaldi's first appearance. Obviously, this will be the next actor's 
uh, first appearance at the end of this series, but there's not a lot of mystery and intrigue. It's like, all right, we know this is going to happen. Just, you know, we got to get there. Whereas with the 50th, it was kind of like a one-off extravaganza. Mm -hmm. But like I say, when we're on the road to Doctor Who, it's always a fun trip to go through. And obviously, coming out of the Jodie Whittaker era, yep. we now have the returning David Tennant, the 14th Doctor. Yeah, which, so that's been specifically said in the promo material, and I believe even in the episode itself, not a spoiler, that he's, because yes, he did technically play the 10th Doctor, but the, he, this incarnation is the 14th. Mm-hmm. And this is the stepping stone to get to the 15th Doctor, who is Shudi Gatwa. Uh-huh. So we are excited to get back in the TARDIS yeah. and go do the time travel one more time. So if you're new to the show, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. Drop that review on your favorite podcatcher. It does help the algorithm of the show. What we like to do is give a spoiler-free statement about what we are going to be reviewing. And this is going to be Doctor Who entitled The Star Beast. So we're going to give you the spoiler-free breakdown of what we thought of the episode. And then we give you a countdown. After said countdown... We deep dive into spoilers, so there is nothing that we're going to hold back on saying. But if you have to duck out for whatever reason, you haven't seen the episode yet, you don't want to have anything ruined, that is the time to do it. Pad puts in the liner notes when we start talking, so you're not going to have anything ruined for you. You can watch the episode and jump back in because we definitely like having that conversation. So that being said, Pad... Give me your your spoiler-free statement on the Starbeast. Well, the first thing I got to say for me, this was kind of like a jump back in because I fell off Doctor Who a little bit, you know, and it's not anything against, you know, Jodie Whittaker or the previous producers or the writers or any of the subject matter. It's just a simple fact of the show was on at the same time as something else I enjoyed slightly more than Doctor Who, and, and it fell by the wayside. I plan on going back and catching up on what I missed from the Jodie Whittaker uh tenure mm-hmm. um but when i heard this was zooming i'm like all right this is can't miss television for me you know so i was excited to watch this on saturday night here in the states or saturday afternoon actually in the states when this dropped and the first thing i noticed is and maybe this has been the case because i haven't seen it in a couple of years but like holy shit the production upgrade mm-hmm. especially the special effects noticeable upgrade with that now could that have something to do with working with disney and disney giving them some money towards the, the special effects budget that's entirely possible mm-hmm. you know could it also just be the case of hey time's gone on and technology's improved and visual effects have gotten better since the last time i watched it you know three four years ago well that also could be true so the first thing i gotta say is kudos to the visual effects folks and the and the folks behind all of the just the production side of things because this episode looked spectacular but it also had the same whimsical fun that you would expect from a Doctor Who episode. You know, the episode, as for the episode itself, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really fun. I was having a good time, you know, seeing Donna Noble and, and the Doctor back and having David Tennant back as the Doctor. Again, it felt like a fun trip down memory lane. But it also felt like, you know, you're waiting on the popcorn to, to finish popping in the microwave. Because like, you're like, all right, something is building to this. We know, because given what happened with the Doctor and Donna, their last go-around, and, and the implications of what it meant if these two ever met again, it's like, all right, this I'm not ready for heartbreak on this again, mm-hmm. you know, and then to finally get the payoff and see what happened. It was it was incredible. And, and I was happy to see, you know, see them back together and going through the fun again. And just it just felt like a fun, classic Doctor Who episode, you know, that didn't have a ton of stakes behind it. But it's the first part of a three part episode and it's kind of getting everybody acclimated to everything. Seeing the return of the very polarizing Time Lord mm-hmm. and his 
machine that is bigger in, on the outs or in the inside. Giggity. Yes. Uh, it was a fun trip. Yeah, and, it was. And seeing, obviously, with 60 years of television and stories, there's a lot of different directions you can try going in, but you're but there's something about going to the past, mm-hmm. no pun intended here, that really made this stand out and really made this into something. I think if it was anybody else at this point, I don't know if it would connect as well. Right. But seeing the return of David Tennant in the title role, mm-hmm. that just brought me back because yeah. for being somebody that, when I got into Doctor Who, mm-hmm. that's who I gravitated towards. Like sure. I, I really did not connect with Christopher Eggleston's performance. Nothing against him and I what he did. Was, I thought it was all right. It, it was all right, but you know, it was just something you have to take into context. If you're jumping in at that frame, mm-hmm. he's coming out of the Time War. It's like he, it's like George Lazenby in the Bond series, right? There are certain elements that are going on that if you're a new viewer, mm-hmm. you're going to miss because you don't know that side of the story. It, it, he's Eccleston's a good intro mm-hmm. because it's kind of like you, you're learning how to swim for the first time. You're kind of dipping your toe in the pool and you're kind of taking your first steps into the pool. Mm-hmm. And then once you get to, you know, the David Tennant era, that's where you're kind of like, all right, well, you start learning, you start to understand how to swim. Yes. So for me, this was just a welcome back. This was a, a friendly return. Yeah. It's like when your favorite creators go back on your on your favorite comic. Yeah. You have to some time off, and it's yeah. just like picking up the bike and riding it again. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me here with David Tennant and Catherine Tate back <laughs> as Donna. Like, I agree. Like, this is what it felt like. This was vintage Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And especially going off a story that... It has a little comic connection with Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons writing it, mm-hmm. or heavily influenced from it, I should say, rather. Yep. This just, it really hit all the marks it needed to for me to just get me back fully invested in Doctor Who because we've seen so much of an influence of this character and writing on such shows as Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Loki. Yeah. Just to name a few. And with time travel, it's always a little bit different. There's a little something that you have to really be understanding about how wild the idea is, but yet also give it some seriousness. And that is something that Doctor Who has done since its inception. Mm-hmm. So going back to this episode, I know it's the beginning of a short trip down memory lane, but mm-hmm. I'm here for it. And I was very excited for what I saw and where we're going. And, you know, like, let's just get into it because this is definitely worth the time watching. So we are going to start talking some spoilers in three, two, one. Pad. Talk to me. Like I said, I thought it was a great episode. I thought it was a nice dip back into the universe and a fun jumping back in point. And it was a story that I felt like didn't necessarily need to be told, but I understand why it was. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy it was just because with what happened with the doctor and Donna Noble the last time they saw each other and, and, you know, going off of that and if they ever see each other again, you know, she's going to die. And a lot of folks not happy with that decision. And I, and I was kind of mixed on it at the time. I was like, "Ah, I don't like it, but I, I can kind of see where they're going with this. So to finally have that pay off, you know, and, and have a resolution to that, that was, that was nice to see. You know, I feel like the only story they could have done that would have had more of an impact is if they decided to address, you know, Rose Tyler, and, and David Tennant's doctor, but that to me, that story is kind of like uh, Uncle Ben and, and Peter Parker. You like you ain't changing what happens to Uncle Ben in the comics. Yeah, and if you do, it's for a temporary hiccup, and it's back to normal after a couple issues. You know, but this episode was incredible. You know, it, it was fun. You know, uh, everything down to the meep. You know, which was kind of like the main antagonist, and what ended up being the main antagonist in the episode, and just kind of like the mystery and the whimsy of it, mm-hmm. where it starts off so innocently. 
And then it almost kind of like Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo episode a little bit where it like it starts off innocent. It goes kind of crazy and wacky. And by the end of it, you're like, oh, okay, I, I see. I saw. I should have seen where this is going. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. It definitely was a lot of fun. Like I say, it just kicks off with that undeniable feel of Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And especially with Tenet coming in because he, he finds the way to walk the line from serious to funny mm-hmm. and just be like a kid in the candy store. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so much that he's just amazed with, with life. Yeah. And after he comes back now with his face and he's trying to piece everything together. Still trying to figure out why he's returned this way. Mm-hmm. Which is always going to be a mystery until we get to the end of his run here. Yeah. He winds up landing back in London mm-hmm. and he runs into Donna. Mm-hmm. Literally. Well, he's walking down the street. Mm-hmm. And he's and he's just kind of getting his bearings and taking in the sights. It's London. It's you know the holiday season. People are out doing some shopping, and he sees this person with an exorbitant amount of gifts in their hands. And mm-hmm. and it's like they're I can't remember if it was they were slipping or they were just losing hold of the boxes. It was or maybe both. But regardless, uh, David Tennant's doctor sees this and goes, "Up, oh, hold on, just one second. Let me help you." And he takes the first couple of boxes off of the stack this person is holding. And he sees who it is, and he sees it's Catherine Tate as Donna Noble. And in his head, you can just hear his conscience go, shit. Mm-hmm. And he puts it back, and he goes to walk away. And she goes, hey, what the heck? Like, that's not nice. Yeah. It's definitely a, a fun moment seeing those two reconnect on screen mm-hmm. and how they go about it. But obviously, we find out as viewers that life has changed from Donna since we last saw her mm-hmm. because pad who is now part of her family. She, well, she got married uh, and had a child with uh, this person. Uh, so she got married to a gentleman named Sean uh, and had a daughter named Rose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she goes and so doctor bumps into Donna and then is like caught with crap. Okay. I got to help her, but I hope she doesn't remember me because again, if she remembers anything about me, she's going to die. Mm-hmm. And all the meanwhile, her daughter comes up and he goes, oh, crap, you've now got a daughter. And then he gets into, you know, so he re- resolves that. All the meanwhile, this is going on. The daughter's talking to, Rose is talking to Donna and a spaceship crash lands or lands in, in the middle of town. Mm. All the meanwhile, Donna is as oblivious as they come and doesn't see it. Which, did you get the vibe off of this that this is like a regular occurrence with her? Since since we last saw her, that like they kind of play it up as like, Mom, you never see anything that that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the spaceship crash lands. Donna doesn't see any of it. Meanwhile, everyone in the in the crowd is pulling out their phones and recording everything. And Donna's like, "Oh, you're crazy. There's no such thing as aliens, you know." So they go off. The doctor gets in a in a cab with a guy, and come to find out, this is Donna's husband mm-hmm. so he's like okay I, this is really going from bad to worse for me uh and we should mention the husband is played by a gentleman named carl collins and the daughter is played by a uh by yasmin finney who we find out later uh like yasmin finney uh rose also transgendered yes so as they're starting to figure out what is happening in london well are, are they it's it seems like the daughter's kind of like yeah this is interesting but this, this to her is like a normal day in london for her and meanwhile, we and Donna's like, oh, do, 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 just going about my life is what it is, you know. And and the we find the mother uh, is like, no, nothing's wrong, absolutely nothing, everything is perfectly fine. Yeah, it's just something they're trying to play off because obviously Donna's mother knows the secret about Donna, mm-hmm. 
that if anything is tipped off about her knowing about her past as Doctor Who, she's going to die. That would be Sylvia Noble, played by Jacqueline King. Yes, so it's kind of a very cool thing that they see play out, too. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, they're now investigating, obviously, about a certain spaceship that has, they thought, crashed. Well, yeah, unit gets called in. Uh, and they, and they, the belief is what's being reported by the media is it crash landed. Mm-hmm. And it cuts to this warehouse, this steel warehouse in the middle of town or on the outskirts of town, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a BBC report going on. And the, and the BBC reporter straight up just gets, you know, hauled away, thrown in the back of a, a trans- military transport and drove off. All the meanwhile, the feed to the cameras cut. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when we see Unit comes in. And, of course, Unit, Doctor Who fans have known for a while. Uh, you know, it's this uh, military science. Opera. It's kind of like their version of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Uh, so they're investigating the whole thing and come to find out this. The doctor then shows up and come to find out this spaceship didn't crash land. It just landed. Yes, because it appears that somebody wanted to make their entry in mm-hmm. and make a connection with Donna. Mm-hmm. And that is a certain character that reminded me of a gremlin. Yeah, a little bit. But it is not, it is an entirely different one. It is a meep. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a character that, like I say, as this episode progresses to, uh, we obviously find out there's a little more going on with the said character. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of Bebo. Yes, a little bit. Like it's Maybe a, that was the inspiration. It could be because, like I say, it's a the the beep has appeared in uh, various uh, Doctor yeah. Who uh, yeah. uh, stories in the past, but to see it now on on the screen in, in this situation, it does provide kind of some comic relief at first mm-hmm. because Rose is hiding the meep. Yep, in, in her uh, warehouse, well, not necessarily workshop. Yeah, that's the word I want. In her workshop, which is in her parents' back uh, parents' backyard, because she is making stuffed animals to sell to folks uh, to, in an effort to raise some money to help uh, with her the payments and money and stuff for her her mom because her mom lost her job for some reason. Yes, we never do find out why. We never did find out why, which I thought was going to play into something later. Mm-hmm. But obviously, with the events unfolding, they have to do what they have to do. Mm-hmm. But Unit apparently is not the only people looking for Meep. No. No, there are two alien-esque individuals. Call them what they are. They're bugs. Yeah, they're bugs. They're (laughs) bugs. They are straight up looking for them, the Wrath Warriors. Those of you with a bug phobia, you hated this episode. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they wind up actually tracking Meep down to Donna's Donna's, apartment. House there. House, yeah. Well, and all the meanwhile, this is going on. Units investigating the uh, spaceship. This is after the doctor leaves to go off and investigate Donna because he he figures Donna's involved in this in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And the and the representative from unit he's talking to goes, well, how do you figure? And he gives a brief like, all right, well, here's the thing with Donna and tells about the, the time Lord mind and if sees me, she dies, yada, yada. And he goes, I haven't seen her in however many years it's, it's been. And I see her, I see her daughter, I see her husband, and then a spaceship lands in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. Like, this can't be a coincidence. So after he goes off to find Donna, uh, the, some of the agents from unit climb up to the ramp or the stairs or whatever it is to go look at the spaceship. They open the spaceship, and there's this weird celestial light mm-hmm. just sitting on the inside of the door. And I'm looking at this thing going... All right, this has got to be alive in some capacity or whatever, however you define it. Looks it looks sentient. It looks sentient, you know, and sure enough, it seemingly was because 
after they uh, after the door gets open, you know the the unit soldiers go, all right, don't fire unless I say so. Mm-hmm. The light, the door opens, the light starts infecting them or, or crossing into their bodies through their through their eyes. The eyes light up in this bluish purplish glow. And then they all put their guns down. All the meanwhile, the representative from unit who is in a wheelchair and can't get up there and can't see what's going on, but can still see them lowering their weapons. And you got to figure she knows something's mm-hmm. up. They all lower their visors and go off and do their own thing. Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting sequence of events, but it ultimately revolves around everybody coming to the house mm-hmm. where the doctor has to get everybody out. Right. Well, he, well, first he wants to just take the meep. He's like, oh, I know some people. They'll be able to help us take care mm-hmm. of this. And the mother's like, well, perfect. This is awesome. You can just go. All the meanwhile, during this sequence, the husband has then shown up. You know, Sean showed up and can see this sentient, weird-looking alien thing. And he's like, all right, well, he's, he took this surprisingly well. I figured he'd pass out or something. Well, you but know, no, he's, he's good. The thing about it is with Doctor Who, I think everybody in, in this universe is very used to the unexpected. Well, and you got to figure he's also a taxi cab driver, so he's seen some stuff. Oh, yeah, especially in London there. Yeah. Like I say, just with how everything was set up, because at the beginning you see, you see these alien invasions, and, and the reactions that most of the citizens had were just very like lackluster. Say, the world has almost ended in London how many times in this show? Yeah. Uh, I'm running out of fingers to count on. So like I say, they kind of just brushed it off. Yeah, they brushed it off. So the doctor is trying to get him out of there. All the meanwhile, you know, the uh, Wraith or Roth warriors, whatever, they're called uh or however you say it show up mm-hmm. on one side of the house then you got the other side of the house where the possessed unit soldiers sh- show up mm-hmm. they start duking it out and then all the meanwhile and so then the doctor is trying to escort donna her daughter her husband her mother and the meep out of the house that's simultaneously surrounded. Oh, by the way, these houses are, are like downtown London style. There's no space between them. So right. he's, got, he's got to take them up to the attic and across the attics because he asks Sean where his taxi is. He goes, oh, it's five houses over. Mm-hmm. So he draws a protective shield in the air with his uh, sonic screwdriver, which yep. I thought I thought was, that was great. I thought that was a cool visual. Yeah. You know, so he uses the protective walls to get them. He puts one on one side, one on the other side of the hallway, you know, so it blocks the laser fire. And then they get up to the attic and they start crossing over. So all the meat, and then eventually those walls do crumble down mm-hmm. because much like Green Lantern's uh, protective shields, they run out after a while. Sure. And then all the meanwhile, if it can't get any crazier, units then figured out something's going on because they then send the rest of their forces to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. All the meanwhile, there was a kid earlier in the episode who was like convinced aliens are real and convinced there's an alien in their background. And he's watching this whole thing from his bedroom going, I'm going to have the greatest story tomorrow. Yeah. No, I mean, this is just perfect Doctor Who right Yeah. Here. Because like I said, there's action going on. There's a little touch of comedy. It, it really balances out well. Mm-hmm. That it doesn't take away from anything going on with the story. Yeah. But once everybody gets away, we do find out that, well, the Meep has been hiding mm-hmm. a few things. Yeah. Well, we, we find out through a, a kangaroo court of almost of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy to see. Yeah. So the doctor gets everybody out, gets them into the taxi cab. They drive off. They escape. They get, and then the doctor summons two of the warriors, the bug warriors there. Mm-hmm. And he throws on a ye old English, you know, uh, colonial times wig on yeah. one of the powder wigs. And yeah. he's like, he's like, I'm invoking this clause, which means you can't fight until I deem it otherwise. And we're going to get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. And he starts analyzing this like it's a court case. And he, and he tells Donna to look at the car. He goes, no, I want to note something. You guys were shooting with lasers. Lasers typically leave scorch marks. Donna, are there any scorch marks on this car? 
And she looks and she looks and she goes, oh, that's not. She goes, he goes, yeah. So you must have had those lasers set for stun. And the warriors start explaining themselves a little bit. And then the meep gets frustrated because they start making the claim that like, oh, you know, the the meeps got infected by this, you know, basically space drugs. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just call it that. So you know, they had they had a trip out on some space drugs, went nuts and started killing everybody. So we had to defend ourselves because they tried killing us, and we got them all except the one left, and that's like the emperor meep. It's it's the it's the head meep, mm-hmm. and then. The meep just goes, oh, crap, the jig's up and goes, you know what? And it goes in the entire time. This is like, what, 30 minutes in? Yeah, the episode? I was say about halfway in. So about through halfway through the episode, the entire time the meep's been on screen, it's been this cute little fuzzable, adory little thing you expect to see in like a department store for Christmas or something. Mm-hmm. And then the switch flips and it's like, you know what? Screw this. Screw the stunning. I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. So the whole idea of the sweet, innocent alien who is getting hunted for its fur. It's fur. Turns out, nope, they were on the right track uh, just trying to bring me back in, but I'm not going down without uh-huh. a fight. Kills both of the wraths that are there uh-huh. and ultimately says, yeah, you know, the unit soldiers that were on my spaceship, well, they're under my control. Yeah, they're on my side. Yeah. So, And if, and if you don't do what I say... I'm going to kill uh, this person's entire family. Yeah, so literally throws down the gauntlet that, yeah, if you do anything to stop me, I'm going to kill Donna's family. And more or less, they're now taken hostage. Uh-huh. Which all, is, all, all meanwhile, the doctor gets knocked out. Yeah, so the doctor is typically taken out of the equation here. I mean, this is something that we've seen time and yeah. time again, but yeah. it, it works in this situation. Yeah. But they wind up getting bailed out by an unlikely source mm-hmm. and that's Shirley. yeah the uh unit had a unit or whatever that was there yeah who winds up freeing them with the rocket launcher on her wheelchair greatest wheelchair i've seen since professor xavier's yeah like this is a very cool moment because thing they, is loaded yeah they wind up just going into where the meep is trying to escape mm-hmm. and sure enough takes out the the building and with the spaceship there the doctor has to make a play here right well and, and then all the meanwhile he's you know they're game planning you know he's like all right we got to take out the ship because he figures out i forget what type of ship they called it but it's basically the ship that like has to project up from the ground to mm-hmm. launch it can't just cold launch like you know one of the uh, a usual rocket ship mm-hmm. you know so it's got to use the ground to launch up but when it does it it wipes out it uses like energy or life force or lava or whatever it is from that planet to launch and they then figure out that it'll wipe out every life in all of life in London, you know, like 9 million people or whatever it is, you know, and it's like, well, crap. He's like, all right, I got to go stop this. Mm. And so unit tries to get Donna's family out and Donna almost goes with them. Mm. And then she's like, and then she kind of comes, she kind of pauses and she looks and she's like, Hey, sorry, love you, but I got to do this. Like, I'm not going to be happy with myself if I don't do this. I got to go help the doctor. Mm -hmm. And this is about 40 minutes into the episode. And this is the first time she's mentioned the entire episode. She said the doctor and the mother even points out and says about two seconds after I said it, she goes, oh, my God. She said she called him the doctor, Mm -hmm. which is panicking to the mother because, oh, no, she's starting to remember. It's been the whole plot point of Donna for years Uh that if she ever connected back with the doctor, she was going to die. But it turns out that as she's getting her memories back, which she's been this magnet for this extra supernatural attention, borrowing a little bit from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, reactivating her memories with a set of code phrases. Yeah. 
we now see that she's now it's coming back to her everything from Rose's birth it's to all coming back to me. Yeah, so now she's understanding what's happening, and now the big trump card that the meep had mm-hmm. is gone. Well, because yeah, so they're in the bowels of the spaceship trying to stop it from launching. The doctor's running back and forth, shutting stuff off, shutting this off, switching that flip, uh, flipping that switch, and flipping this switch. And then eventually, you know, the the space between the two closes like mm-hmm. with, with like this barrier this transparent steel ver- uh, barrier and uh <clears throat> you know the doctor's like she's like oh i can help i can help and he's like all right switch those three flips and he's like this isn't gonna work i'm gonna have to do this and he starts saying the key phrases and like you said she comes to and remembers and then all of a sudden it's like she's the smartest person on the planet it's like nope all right i know it because he's out of ideas mm-hmm. she's like nope i know what to do goes through everything and and thwarts the meeps plan from launching yeah, she stops the ship, and they wind up taking the Meep, uh, is now captured by the Wraths. Yeah. And the big point here is everything with the meta crisis, mm-hmm. as they were defining it as. I, yeah, which I guess is what was in Donna that would cause her to die if she ever remembered the Doctor. Yeah, is now removed from her and Rose. Well, yeah, we find out it passed on to Rose through birth. You know, which is how they got away with it for a little bit that nothing happened. But he's like, listen, this thing is growing. We got to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't quite understand this whole part. Did they, did they just get rid of it because they just chose to? I think they elected to because they were worried it was going to come back. Like the doctor kind of had the vibe that if we don't take care of it now, like this could come back tenfold. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they wind up ex- getting rid of of everything that is the meta crisis. Mm-hmm. So you see, it's just kind of like they're, they're back to normal. Cause, cause even in the episode Rose brings up, Oh, I get picked on a lot that I, that I don't seem like I'm from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this winds up just giving them a whole new lease on life because mm-hmm. now it's like one of the biggest burdens that, I mean, Donna has had to, and, and Rose touched upon as well mm-hmm. has now been removed. Yeah. So now they're free to live their lives. And you can see Rose is definitely excited about too. Cause like mm-hmm. I say, uh, She's had, uh, Rose has had a rough up, upbringing, you know, always felt like a little bit of uh, out of sorts. Mm-hmm. Didn't didn't really connect with the kids. Right. So, I mean, this is a, a really great scene that it plays yeah. out to. Yeah. And then really kind of sets the stage for the the ending act, mm-hmm. which they really kind of speed through as well. Yeah. Because the doctor kind of says, well, you guys might need some time off. Right. And to go visit somebody. Mm-hmm. And Pat, who do they recommend visiting? Uh, they wanted to go see Wilfred Mott, uh, who was Donna's grandfather or father or whatever the role was. Um, he was not in this episode. Well, in story reason, he was not in this episode because, you know, he had some health issues and really couldn't go downstairs. And so he was kind of confined to a home where they watch him. Uh, but in non-story purposes uh the actor unfortunately passed away back in july of last year at the mm. age of 93 so that's why obviously you're gonna have a, he was so integral to that story back when donna was the you know the companion right to do this story without even mentioning him is a discredit to the actor and a discredit to the character so it was nice they included him you know and so they come up with the idea like oh hey you know he's still around he still remembers you he's wanted to tell me all this stuff and all these stories about you from over the years but never could wouldn't it be great if we could just go see him and you could see him one more time and talk to him yeah and so that's the plan they go into the tardis the newly redesigned tardis yes holy shit again the upgrade and budget on this show mm-hmm. oh my god that was the craziest i've seen the tardis look in quite some time yes uh all of the little circular 
uh, lights on the wall, which we've seen before in various incarnations, but they're like LED now, so they're colored crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now got a coffee maker as well, and they're all sorts of excited about that. So Donna and the doctor are getting ready to leave, and then Donna, for whatever reason, decides to throw coffee on the console of the TARDIS. Oh, she spills. Oh, well, yeah. She spills coffee on the console of the TARDIS, uh, ignites the thing on fire, and turns the TARDIS on, and where they're going? Well, it's anywhere in space or time. Yes. And that's how it wraps up. But, I mean, this was just from top to bottom. This was is fun. This is absolutely vintage Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. This is something that you show a new viewer. Yeah. And you want to get them into the fan base. Yeah. Because it literally had everything that you want. Mm-hmm. You know, the characters, the diversity, the ambiance of just the over-the-top plot lines, but yet keeping it grounded enough that you can connect to it on a, on a, on a very simple level. Sure. And cause at the end of the day, it's science fiction, it's long running, but it's also a family television show. It's, it's a show you can sit down with your kids and sure. There's going to be some moments where, you know, the kids might get a little nervous or a little scared, mm-hmm. uh, high looking at you, the episode where the, where the kids ask, are you my mommy? Yeah. That's that little scary for kids. But it's it's a kids show, you know. It's fun. It's whimsical. It's it's got some science behind it. It's it's fun for the whole family. Oh, absolutely, and especially when you have David Tennant who's mastered this role. Uh huh. <laughs> There's a reason they brought him back twice, even though typically they don't come back. No, they they typically don't. Mm-hmm. But for in this case, this is a great gateway to get fans into the fandom, mm-hmm. especially now with the deals they have with Disney Plus, and yeah. it's, you know, there's a lot more eyes now that can get onto the product so yeah and we got to mention with that uh because i know we said it before but new listeners we should mention if this is your first episode with doctor who hey welcome to the universe Mm -hmm. um all future episodes starting with this one and going forward will be on disney plus however if you want to start having seen any doctor who or want to go back and rewatch some of the stuff it's hard to find the older stuff you know from like the 60s through the 80s just because it, it doesn't necessarily have the streaming rights. So I know if you go to, I think it's BritBox on Prime Video. If you subscribe to the BritBox Prime Video channel, you'll get some there. There's some on the Tubi streaming service, which is free. You, you got some ads, but it's it's there for free. But if you want the stuff from the reboot, which is where I recommend you start to this point or to the episode prior to this, uh, those episodes are going to be on max, at least until I would figure the streaming right deal with that ends because then i expect they might end up on disney plus mm-hmm. or they'll just stay there but for the time being you will have to go to max to watch prior episodes if you want to rewatch or catch up on on stuff you might have missed yeah i mean 60 years is a lot of tv it's a lot of tv so that's that's why not I, even counting the the tv specials right so that's why i say if you if you want to get, find a good place to start the christopher eggleson se- season so uh, it should be the first season under the new under the new banner yeah. right that would be the place it's to good, start good jumping on point or you just jump in now, Yeah, to be honest with you, because I thought this was a great new viewer jump point. Yeah, because that's the thing. Typically, with you and I having watched kind of from the same point, the Christopher Eccleston run up through now, when it comes to when they bring on a new actor or actress as the doctor, they typically don't reference a whole lot with prior seasons. There's a little bit of reference. There's a little, little bit. little here and there. A little here and there, but it's not anything like you need to have seen what happened to understand what's going on. You might miss out on a couple of references or a couple of little key information points, but it won't be to your detriment. No, absolutely not. Like this is something that you can easily get access to mm-hmm. pick up enough that you don't have to really be an aficionado. Also, uh, Wikipedia is your friend. Oh, true. 
But to just see where they start with this episode, I thought this was a great jumping on point. Yeah, like that, absolutely. That, that's where I took it from. I was absolutely. like, you know, this is something I would show somebody that has never seen it and wants to find out because, like I say, it really captures all the elements that make Doctor Who great. Sharp writing, great acting, diversity, really walking the fine line between funny and serious. Mm-hmm. But really keeping it centered and grounded to the themes that they want to do for the episode. Uh-huh. And that is very tough to do. But this has been a staple of Doctor Who from the dawn of time, pun intended. This is something that with this show, you know going into, you're going to get. And where they build seasons and how they kind of do the structures for that is really fun to watch. And they go into a lot of crazy different directions, like even with their filler episodes. Yeah. And this, even though it is filler, because we do know where we're going after these three episodes. Right. It's still a perfect time to jump on, and I think it's brilliantly placed to have an established character uh, portrayal from David Tennant and bringing back Donna, played by Catherine Tate. Uh-huh. And that is one that the older fans know and the newer fans can get into because it literally gives you such a welcoming introduction into what they're doing here. Like I say, it's just nothing but a big bucket oh, of win. absolutely. Yeah, so... I mean, Pat, if you got to put a grade on it, what are you thinking? I, if I'm doing this out of five stars, I give this, I give this five stars. You know, this is this is fun. This is, is, you know, didn't have a whole lot going on in terms of like, oh my gosh, the implications other than the ending. Because where the hell are they gonna end up? You know, who's to say? You know, we obviously uh, still have the big uh, cameo guest guest appearance uh, from Neil Patrick Harris coming at some mm-hmm. point. I'm guessing that's going to be in the third special, which is going to be on December 9th, uh, 2023. But we still got that coming. So where we go from here, I, I don't know. It's But it, like you said, it's a fun jumping on point. You know, even if you don't know anything about Doctor Who other than he's a time traveler, mm-hmm. that that's enough to go on. You know, they give you enough and they give you the bare bones you know, kind of cliff notes, spark notes, information to go on this episode that even if you didn't see the run with David Tennant and Catherine Tate on it, you're, or even if you maybe saw a handful of episodes, one episode, two episodes, if they give you enough to go on for the implications of what it means and what these two characters have going on, that you won't be lost. It's a fun watch. Yeah, it's a fun watch. I mean, I got to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Okay. I mean, it's near perfect for me, but it's just with any kind of introduction story. Sure. I, I like it's it, this is just it's a me thing. Sure. I'm the problem. Sure. It's me. I I really kind of struggle giving now like perfect scores just because I know that we have three parts to go with. Sure. So that's why I say but it's it's so near perfect that this is something great for new viewers for older viewers that have been following the fandom. You're still going to find a lot to enjoy from it. And this is going to just really kick in the nostalgia feel for you. Mm-hmm. And then when we start going into the next two episodes, I mean, we know the third one is coming out in December. Yep. And obviously the second one is dropping when, Pad? Uh, this upcoming Saturday, December 2nd. Yes. Uh, and it's going to be dropping at, uh, I believe it's 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Yes. So we don't have long to wait to see where the story goes, but it's a fun one nevertheless. And you know me, I love seeing the adaptation from comics. And so. we should say that all the drops, when I say 4.30 p.m. Eastern, it's all at the same time. And much like Disney Plus does, it's not, oh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, and then you got to wait till 4.30 Central and 4.30 Mountain and 4.30 Western. No, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 3.30 p.m. Uh, Western, 2.30, one thirty, like the whole nine yards. So uh, figure out where it is in your time zone. Yeah, so definitely make sure you set your dials for that as we're going to be covering both episodes as they come out. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag pod. What is your thoughts of Doctor Who, the Star Beast? We definitely want to have that conversation. Currently airing on Disney Plus and a whole slew of other places, so make sure to go check it out. 
We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Do you like comic books? What about movies and TV shows? Well, we may be the show for you. We're Hops Geek News, a weekly podcast that discusses comics, movies, and TV shows while featuring a beer of the week. Every week, we chat about what we messed up on the week before, and then we dive into what we're reading and watching, as well as some news. We then wrap it up with a geek-themed topic of the week. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts by searching Hops Geek News. Cheers. Cheers. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and I can finally talk. Yes, you can. I can finally talk the true feelings we have about one of our favorite shows on Prime Video mm-hmm. via Amazon Studios, Skybound Entertainment, and because we have come to the end of season one part or season, season two, two part, part one. Yeah, I know. Like I, I get it confused with the timelines because obviously there's a lot of hype for the return of one of the biggest shows on the animated front. And that is one Invincible. Uh-huh. So the Robert Kirkman, Corey Walker, and Ryan Otley book that has really redefined what modern superhero storytelling is it was a big success on the small screen when it debuted in 2021. Now it finally came back on November 3rd for season two, part one. So the first four episodes are done. And that's what I've been embargoed and I could not speak about. Yes. So the embargo time is off. So we're going to do this like we do the first segment. We're going to give the spoiler-free statement, give the countdown, then it's game on. So, Pad, Season 2, Part 1, give me your spoiler-free statement. Uh, The season thus far has been really good. I enjoyed the return episode, uh, first episode, which was uh, A Lesson for Your Next Life. That one was a fun one. Uh, The second episode, in about six hours, I lose my virginity to a fish. A little bit of a step back, a little bit of a letdown for me. That one... Felt a little bit of filler, a little bit of why are we here? Mm-hmm. Uh, third episode, this missive, this machination. That one was a fun one. And obviously this last episode, uh, somebody cue the stained. It's been a while. Uh, that one was incredible. You know, I, I didn't see that coming. I figured the way it would happen and, and kind of the events that played out wouldn't happen until maybe the fifth episode mm-hmm. that we'd get a little bit of a cliffhanger. But boy, they hit the gas pedal and went going. Yeah, they definitely didn't waste a lot of time coming back in a big way. Like, obviously, this is an adaptation from the legendary Skybound Entertainment Image comic mm-hmm. that really set a precedent for how we look at superheroes now. I mean, you can its influence is everywhere. So you can't say, like, oh, I don't see this. No, the story of Mark Grayson and obviously being the half-human, uh, half-alien mm-hmm. future protector of Earth uh, coming-of-age story has been one that's connected to uh, many, many readers. And like I say, the book is very, very well done. If you haven't got a chance to check out the comic, highly recommend yeah. it. And even coming out of season one, the voice acting on this series has just been top-notch. Stephen Yoon, who we know as Glenn from The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. uh, really has taken this role and really ran some places with it. And obviously, when he has to compete with one J.K. Simmons as uh, Omni-Man, his father, yeah. there's always some great back and forth going on, too, and especially coming into how the season kicked off. I thought they really did a very, very solid job out the gate. I don't think they wasted a lot of time. No. Um, episode two, I do agree with you. I thought I understood the purpose for it, mm-hmm. but I do agree with you. Like in comparison to the other episodes, mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of like maybe just a little more set up than I liked. Yeah. But nothing against it. 
But I mean, like I say, I know you got the cast list lined up. Yeah, I do. This this cast is absolutely not so. As you mentioned, there's uh, Stephen Young as Mark Grayson, J.K. Simmons as Nolan Grayson, I, a.k.a. Omni-Man. Uh, Sandra Oh, who a lot of folks are going to know from Grey's Anatomy for so many years, is in there as Debbie Grayson. Gray Griffin, the legendary voice actress, is in this show as well. Uh, you've got Jillian Jacobs, who a lot of folks know as Adam Eve. Kevin Mike and Kevin Michael Richardson's in this up is in this show. Zachary Quinto, Carrie Payton from uh, Walking Dead, also Ross Marquand from Walking Dead. Some dude named Clancy Brown. Don't know if you've ever heard of yeah. him. Some unknown, relatively new voice actor called Mark Hamill, also in this show. Who? Yeah, exactly. Never heard of that dude. Wonder what he's done. Uh, but no, this this cast is absolutely nuts from top to bottom. Yeah, no, this one definitely came with it and really wanted to set the ground running. And this is one thing that with animated shows, too, mm-hmm. you know, it is a little different than live action, but it's the acting you get yeah. out of these voice actors that really elevate characters. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, with Amber, Zazie Beats, who voices her, really gives, you know, a real strong persona to yeah. that character and yeah. really gives you know, for being somebody that's a human in the you know world of superheroes. Yeah. It's always a great take to see how they how they go about this and just with the writing in general too. Like I say, they borrow a lot of superhero elements, mm-hmm. but yet how they mix it in with everybody else. Like that's the key point. Like I say, you see such strong acting from Sandra O's Debbie with this too. Uh-huh. Being somebody that's you know living this life but yet is outside looking in, like I say, there's just so many elements. Well, here. and especially you think back to what happened with the end of season one, mm-hmm. where her life got flipped up on its head nine ways to Sunday. Yeah. And this is somebody who like had figured she knew the world, figured she understood it, and was accepting of that because she was accepting of it enough to marry a superhero, have a kid with the superhero, was okay with him going off to save the world. Because we've seen that in plenty of other instances, you know, Iron Man and Spider-Man and mm-hmm. and a Superman and whatnot. Like, oh, you, you got the love interest, you got the boyfriend, or not boyfriend, uh, girlfriend, wife, what, what have you, or even boyfriend in some instances, where like, oh, no, don't go. You can't, you know, you're going to hurt yourself. I, I don't want to lose you. And she's just like, oh, yeah, go ahead. You'll be fine. Whatever, yeah. whatever. Two, all of a sudden, you know, the guy she thought she knew, and I'd say spoilers, but while well, the first season came out a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. you know, the guy she thought she knew and thought she loved almost beat their son to a bloodied pulp yeah. and almost killed him. And then basically was like, okay, bye. Yeah. So where the season jumps in, like I say, I think they did a real good starting point. It was, especially that opening. Oh, my God. Yeah. So there's a lot to really enjoy about this series. And mm-hmm. if you haven't checked it out yet, you definitely want to do yourself a favor and check it out on Prime Video right now. It's on on demand form, mm-hmm. so you can definitely binge watch it and catch don't up know, to it. Don't know when the second half of season two is coming. Sooner than later. That'd is, be my guess. Is what uh, I've been hearing. I can't uh, really kind of say when. Because, I, I mean, I look at the IMDb page. You know, it's got the seasons listed, and you got a season two. Uh, and the, obviously, this last episode that came out on the Friday, November 24th. Uh, so for season two, episode five, it just says 2024. Yeah. So we know it's going to come, and we you got to figure it's done if it's not done already. Mm. Um, so it'll be coming. I, my guess would be... February? I'd say February, March range, if I had yeah, a guess. Like I say, yeah. I do I do not officially know. Right. I mean, obviously, I, I was fortunate enough to get screener access for this. I don't know anything more than that of when right. it's coming back. Right. But I know, I would say this, if I had to be a, a, we do locks and leaps. Sure, sure. I would say a lock would be February. Mm-hmm. I will say a leap, a Super Bowl commercial. Ooh, that could be. I'm going to just throw that, that out there. That could be. We'll have to wait and see how it goes from there, but... 
Obviously, we've talked enough spoiler-free. Let's get into the spoiler talk. So in three, two, one, let's talk Invincible. Yeah, so, I mean, are we talking this most recent episode or just the season in general? Season in general we can do. Season in general has been good. I mean, that opening with, you know, the whatever the fuck that was, Mm -hmm. you know, alternate Earth, future possibility where the Earth is enslaved. Mark's, like, done a 180 and done a heel turn, if we're using professional wrestling terms, and he's joined his father. He's enslaved the Earth, the, the Viltrumites, you know, the alien race that his father is a part of, and he is at least half a part of, mm-hmm. you know, he's gone, hey, you know what? You know, to borrow another term for pro wrestling uh, from uh, Seth Rollins, I'm not I'm not selling out. I'm buying in. Yeah. You know, he bought in, enslaved the earth, and, you know, they were warlords over the entire planet. I, I was not, now, I have not read the comic. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, but every time I go to the Barnes, my local Barnes & Noble when I got a gift card and I look at the Invincible set, there's about 900 volumes of varying sizes, and I never know which one to buy, so I always get cold feet, and I never do it. So I haven't read the comics yet. I did not see that coming, and mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, my God, this is such a turn. I didn't see this coming. And then it cuts to the title sequence, so, you know, shows Invincible, and then comes out of that, and everything's all hunky-dory. It's graduation day, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck was that? Was, mm-hmm. was that, you know, an alternate timeline? Was that a glimpse of what possibly may come? You know, some, like, fates from Greek mythology type of shit? Like, they're showing us a possible future? Like, hell of an opening. Oh, absolutely amazing opening. I think they want to set the ground running early. Like, that's the big thing about mm-hmm. it. Because, obviously, Mark is coming off the, you know, the heels of... The, Getting his ass kicked. Yeah, by his dad. Like, I mean, how do you how do you come across that? Mm-hmm. And all the people that got killed in the crossfire. Mm-hmm. But this is where you also see the Maulers, who have been the mm-hmm. the interesting villains. A little of, bit of, of comic relief. Yeah, I, I do love how they come across on the show. Like uh-huh. I, I think they add such a dynamic there. I mean, uh, voiced by Kevin Michael Richardson. They really kind of teeter that line of just like the silliness of superheroes, but yet the seriousness uh-huh. as well, too. So you are seeing how they're kind of working on their you know plots that they're trying to obviously get back to. Um, getting free and getting you know, back to their mission of taking over the world. Mm-hmm. But it does kind of throw a lot of different elements into the story as well, too, because obviously the government is trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because the whole their equivalent of the Justice League is dead. Yep. Omni-Man killed everybody with the Guardians. Uh, what was that, like first episode season yep. one? Yeah. A wasted no time. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's been something that they've been trying to figure out and obviously get Mark more involved to be Earth's defender. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly not ready there yet. Because he's clearly the strongest one of the bunch they've, mm-hmm. they've almost got like a young justice teen titans thing going on where it's like okay you guys are the next generation but like you've got no time to train and no time to prep until you're ready because hey all of the people who were ahead of you and in, 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 in the first line the starters if you will mm-hmm. are uh, now on ir they're on injured reserve they're not coming back like we need you to step up now and clearly mark is the strongest one of the bunch he is so wet behind the ears, it's not even funny. Oh, no, exactly. exactly. Like, for him being thrusted into this role that he needs to save the world, he's mm-hmm. clearly not ready for it. Yeah. So when he is sent to go start stopping these villains, he's really kind of having a struggle of trying to find his own identity because he's still trying to grow up at the same time, but he's still not there yet. Oh, no, by the way, at this point, he still hasn't come to grips with the fact that his father tried to kill him. Yeah, it's something that's been lingering on this entire season thus far, and you see that play out with him, and especially uh, Debbie, the wife of Omni-Man and Mark's mother. Mark's mother, oh, God. Like I say, this entire season, I think 
the breakout star has been Sandra O's Debbie. Mm-hmm. Just from the emotional journey that she takes read or like I, I would say readers, but viewers on. God, the one episode. What was it? Episode three, I think. Mm-hmm. Either two or three. Where she goes to get a drink, and I think it's a she goes to pour a bottle of wine, and she opens the cabinet door where the glasses are, and she takes out the glass, and she sets it down, and she's grabbed the bottle of wine, and as she shut the door to the cabinet, it didn't shut all the way, which mm-hmm. hey, happens, you know, a little bit of a fix, you get it work, you get it taken care of, but like she tries to shut it, opens, shut it, opens, and she eventually just gets so f- damn frustrated and upset. With and she's taking it out on the door because of what happened, mm-hmm. and she's had no time to process this. And to our knowledge, at least what we've seen, she hasn't talked to anybody about this because anytime anyone comes to what we see in this season, anytime somebody comes to her door, she goes and, and ghosts them and doesn't answer. So she's not talking to anybody about this, but she goes nuts on the door on the cabinet door and eventually rips it off the hinges. Yeah, it's a great sequence that really shows the pain she's going through. Yeah. And something that reader or viewers will just instantly gravitate with because, like, you can't help but feel for her character and what she's gone through. Sandra O, oh, phenomenal actress. Yeah, definitely deserves an Emmy nomination for the acting in this one. Uh huh. Seriously, and I think just absolutely just knocks it out of the park with this because as it, the story starts progressing, Mark is becoming more and more involved mm-hmm. with what the government is doing, kind of being the fill-in for the Guardians. Yep. And obviously, with episode two, uh, the deal with the fish. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I both agree this was probably the weakest one of the of, of the, the four. Of yeah, the four. this was the one episode that I got to the end and went, "What the fuck just happened?" Well, because I think what they wanted to do is they wanted to give more time to show what was going on with the other characters, like Adam Eve, who's voiced by you know Jillian Jacobs, mm-hmm. and her story, obviously, kind of separating from the superhero life and yeah. finding her way, yeah, and dealing with her own parents and there's issues that they're having. I like that. I like that portion of the episode. Yeah, that that was, that was a great part. Oh, it was great, but it kind of just was a piece to really kind of focus on her. And I thought how they set it up was. They did that on purpose to give her the spotlight. Yeah, I think so. Because when they went back to Mark's story about the whole underwater kingdom, mm-hmm. and I think the only point that they wanted to establish there uh-huh. was to say about this is why Mark needs to listen yeah. to what Cecil is trying to say, being, yeah. being the Nick Fury of this. That, essentially, that's what he is. I, I took it more in a direction of showing Mark is now having to step up and take some of the responsibilities his father took on because, you know, obviously his father covered for a lot, strongest mm-hmm. dude on the planet, you know, best superhero, whatever, what have you, you know, and now with his father gone, it's like, Hey, you know, sorry, kid, but you got to step up and shoulder some of the responsibilities. Yeah. Which is, a, which is a concept. Okay. I get, I can, I can see that, but just the way they played it out for me where it's like, Oh yeah, there's this, there's this underwater race of fish people or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That, like, you now have to marry because you killed her husband. I'm like, all right, if you're trying to convey, you know, a concept of, like, he's got to shoulder the responsibility of the father. Like I said, I understand the concept. I get it. I'm okay. I'm in. Just the way it played out for me didn't really connect. No, it didn't. But I understand what they were trying to do. And yeah, like no, I, said, I do, too. It, it all harkens back on what they want to establish with Cecil, who's voiced by Walter Goggins. Being the Nick Fury of that world, yeah. being the one that understands, okay, Omni-Man is a true threat. He's gone, but we have to get everybody ready as we can. Mm-hmm. The Guardians are not there. No. So no, they're he, not. he has to do the best he can. And plus, even with his faithful uh, companion, Donald, who's voiced mm-hmm. by Chris Diamantopoulos, mm-hmm. apologize for uh, messing the name up, 
and his story that goes on, like they they're truly for the first time here, not ready for what's coming. Hi, Phil Coulson. Yeah, and it's something that, like I say, it it, it borrows a lot from that Agents of Shield feel. Uh huh. Which it works perfect because yeah. that is what this series does. It really reflects. Well, and that's the cool thing to see is like these a lot of these kids, especially you know Adam Eve and and Mark, mm-hmm. they're in college. Adam Eve's not, but Mark is, but they're of college age. Mm-hmm. So they're still trying to figure out the world and figure out what they want to do. And if you're sitting there, you know, listening to this show and you're in college, be it freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, or hell, even in your uh, undergrad years or graduate years, mm-hmm. there's no way you have a full grasp understanding of like what you want to do, where you're at and where you're going to go. And if you're sitting there thinking of thinking you, you do know, boy, are you in for a ride? Yeah. You know, but they're of college. So like you, I don't, I'm glad they're going the route they are with them. And like, they're trying, they really are. They're trying to step up. They're trying to defend the world and they're trying to like, Hey, we're ready to do it. But also at the same time, they're not Mm -hmm. because they're still learning. They're still figuring out what they can do and it's going to be a mess sometimes. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see how they kind of play this out because like we said, the guardians of the globe, Mm-hmm. have not really been up to snuff no. of what they need to be. And like I say, their story is going on. But the one that I thought was the breakout of all of this mm-hmm. was the story of Rudy, the robot. Yes. Because now his consciousness has been transferred into a, a clone body. Mm-hmm. And he's now coming to terms with trying to manage that. And he's now having struggles with that. And I thought Zachary, yeah. Zachary Kinto, who voices him, um, and Ross Marcotte, it really did a great job of just illustrating this the struggle he was going through. Yeah, yeah. And it's one that it definitely haunts and really kind of reflects the overall theme on this is just you know struggling to survive. Mhm. You know, they've every everybody on this, you know, the lead characters here have had some kind of trauma of some sort. Yeah. And just how they are co- fighting back from it. I mean, that's the biggest theme to take away. Right. And you see that with Robot too because he was the leader of the Guardians of the Globe and now he has a, you know, a deficit in confidence mm-hmm. and it's haunting him even though he's now trying to be human and it's not working in as as easy as he thought it was going to be mm-hmm. so it really kind of plays into that aspect as they move forward to especially going into the third episode mm-hmm. where you are now starting to see okay things pick up rather quickly like yeah. after the second you know like I, I hate saying the word filter or filler because it's not but it really kind of went away from it but they really sped into a two-part point here with the virtuamites and basically how Mark gets lured away mm-hmm. from the planet because, well, he runs into an old friend yeah. that is steering him into space and winds up running into who, Pad? Dear old dad. Yeah, right at the end. Yeah. He was which, wearing a, an apron of sorts? I yeah. don't know what that was. That was weird. It was very weird, but we see that he's on a different world. Because all the meanwhile, other than that whatever the fuck that was at the beginning of uh, episode one, we have not seen Omni-Man or heard mention of him. No, he has been a literal ghost. Uh Uh-huh. Which, I mean, makes sense because obviously the frustration was coming because he understands what is happening with his world that he went away from the Viltrumites and what the plan was supposed to be all along, which was going to be take over the world and make it part of their empire. Uh Uh-huh. And now that he has not done it, he he knows that he's a wanted man. He's on borrowed time. Yep. How that is going to play out, we don't know. Nope. But it definitely made for some high drama because, like I say, you're having more people trying to recruit Mark to get him to you know line up with his dad on you know being the only forces to fight back. 
and that's not working. Mm-hmm. And it's something that obviously with what has happened, why would it work? Like that was the only thing I thought was kind of a little crazy for them to try yeah. set up, but it makes sense. Yeah. So when you start seeing that big ending and then it goes right into episode four, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. This is where things really pick off. Yeah, they do. Because now you you get the 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 point of view of Omni Man mm-hmm. after the attack. A little bit of uh, filler. Oh, no, no filler. Flashbacks. That's what I want to. So that's what I want to say. Uh, from what happened at the end of ep- uh, season one up to this point, and it basically picks up right where we uh, last saw him in season one. Mm-hmm. You know, standing over his beaten, bloody to a pulp son, and he feels guilty about it presumably uh, takes off into space and flies away. And then we see then what happens. He flies a long while mm-hmm. doesn't say how far or how long, but it's long enough that he's gone from uh, mostly shaven to, he's got a full f- fledged beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then eventually comes upon a black hole of all things yeah. where it's like, he's contemplating life, the universe and his place in it. Uh, and it looks like he's about ready to let himself go and sink into said black hole, which don't know what would happen there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he sees a spaceship getting sucked into it, and he feels a sense of calling and maybe a little bit of purpose because there's this bug race on the on the planet. Uh, not on the planet, the spaceship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting sucked in. The, the ship's on fire. You know, they can't get anything going. The engines are presumably dead or they're maxed out because, hey, it's a black hole. You can't escape a black hole. Mm-hmm. D- don't care what anybody in science fiction or fantasy or comic books say you, you can't escape a black hole yeah unless you're omni-man because omni-man rescues the ship saves the folks and they he brings them home and they feel indebted to him they're like oh let us let us repay you and then it cuts back to when he reunites with mark mm-hmm. so you do see this you know father and son moment where they're just coming to terms with what they have hi dr phil on line one mm-hmm. and it's it's a very powerful episode in that aspect because you just have the voice acting in you and simmons just really take it up a notch it's a lot of therapy in this episode for them oh, oh absolutely especially with mark coming to terms that his dad is now <laughs> moved on married again yeah. Even though he's technically still married to his mother, but hey, I don't know if marriage laws work in space the way they do on Earth. But you know what? We still have one word that describes that universally. Reasons. Reasons. Oh, by the way, he's not only married. He's got a kid. Yep. Kid is like half Viltrumite, half whatever the alien race is. Yep. Skin color is shade of purple. Yeah, it's 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 aliens. It's which it's which I understand Mark's reaction every time something happens because I even me sitting there watching the episode went what the fuck yeah what the fuck and he shows the kid he's like hi and he's basically like hi this is your brother you need to love him even if I were in Mark's shoes I'd be like you want me to do what now mm. uh, sorry I'm not buying what you're selling here dude yeah. But this is where you start seeing Nolan really, Omni-Man, really trying to sell the point of, like, this is what's coming. Mm-hmm. And he's almost going through his own redemption arc for just the, the trauma he's put himself through. But, right. you know, he's having the reflective, like, I, I, I had a family, I was happy, and then yeah. I, I, I went away from it because I have to follow this mission I don't want to do. Well, and now he knows the Viltrumites are coming for him because he abandoned his post. Yeah. You know, the, he, 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 he basically says, like, listen, the Viltrumites know I abandoned my post. They're going to come find me. And there's like some Viltrumite law where you can't mate with other species that are like anything below near Viltrumite. So, mm-hmm. and, and he, the way he said it made it sound like he, you know, Mark was fine, that humans were close enough to Viltrumites that it, that it's not that it's not an issue, but because of the race of alien bug aliens or whatever that like, they're not close to Viltrumites that like the Viltrumites see 
you know, themselves as superior to all others and, and, and mating with anything less than a Viltrumite or anything near Viltrumite is like heresy and, and punishable by death. Mm-hmm. So he's like, listen, they're going to come find me, figure out what the hell is going on with me that I'm not at my post and doing what I'm supposed to do when he's supposed to be their best soldier. Right. He's supposed to be, you know, the go to, you know, ace in the hole when thing when the chips are down. So their chip, their ace in the hole is not at his post, abandoned it. They got to figure out what's going on. And oh, by the way, he's broken like cardinal rule number one in the Viltrumite law, which is don't mate with anything below, you know, what they consider to be superior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something Alan the alien did not cover. No, he kind of left that out. No, but I I will will say I did love seeing him appear this season. Yes. Voiced by Seth Rogen, too. Had to throw that in there because we're talking aliens. But it ultimately comes back to General Craig, who is leading the Viltrumites onto Omni-Man's New World, who's voiced by Clancy Brown. Oh, my God, phenomenally. I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you say? It's, it's Clancy. a recognizable voice. Yeah, you, you can't escape his voice. And they literally come in and just obviously holy shit, decimate the father and son combo. I haven't seen a fight this knockdown drag out since Superman took on Zod in Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. I'll say it. Oh, yeah. no. Which, in my opinion, is what superhero fights should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not saying all the blood and all the guts and all the gore. Like yeah, it's fine if it's the, that type of story. But yeah. when when these super powered beings who can literally move planets, yeah, and move like infinite sums of mass, like it shouldn't be just oh hey whoops they they flew into the building and a couple of windows on the on the building broke. No, like they get knocked into a building, the whole goddamn thing should come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's absolutely it's it's like a world of Superman. Yep, like literally that's what you get here. So even though the father and son duo defeat some of the soldiers that are on the planet, they can't take everybody. They're too wounded. And this is all after, you know, uh, Omni-Man has sold Mark on what he wants to do. He's like, hey, listen, I need you to help defend these people. I'm not enough as good as I am. I need your help. And he finally goes, all right, fine. What are we going to do, though? He's like, oh, don't worry. We'll train you. We'll get you ready. We'll get you ready. Everything will be fine. And literally the next second, the Viltrumites show up. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, they understand the game. Mm-hmm. And that's why Craig winds up taking Nolan, a.k.a. Omni-Man, captive. Yep. So he's planning on executing him. Yep. And then he also tells Mark, like, well, congratulations. Your dad bounced out of the equation. Guess what? It's now your job. You're stepping in. You're going to fulfill his job. And if you don't, well, we'll kill everyone you know. Yeah. And that's where they kind of leave his story, even though on Earth they're still are having a couple subplots that are happening. Yep. Like we said, uh, Debbie is coming to terms with what Nolan did and what is going on with Cecil trying to help out with the, with the economic factor mm-hmm. uh, is not really uh, going with the direction she wants to go. So she no. literally says, I want to stop getting money for the royalties from his books. Yep. I, we are going to go somewhere else. And then they do have the kind of the flashback sequence, which I know we didn't spend a lot of time on, uh-huh. with the Guardians of the Globe getting killed by Omni-Man. And yeah. during that whole fight, Donald was killed off, much like Loki killed Coulson during the first Avengers yep. movie. Yep. And now you start figuring out that, oh, Donald is actually a robot. Mm-hmm. He's not the real Donald because we saw his spine get shattered. Well, we see his spine get shattered. He then finds the footage and goes to the, he's like, oh my gosh. And then he goes to figure out if it's true or not. So he takes a, a Bowie knife or something sharp, goes at his wrist in, or arm or something. And he goes, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Cause he sees blood. Mm-hmm. And then he pauses and notices that the tip of the blade is bent. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, of, of how they said it, which, like I say, they they I'm not even faulting them on doing this. They borrow a lot from pop culture and superhero, which books. works. Yeah, it works fine, and that's how they kind of wrap things up for now. So we have a great cliffhanger 
We had a lot of action going on. Like I said, we didn't spend a lot of time breaking it down. But the one thing about Invincible is it's ultra-violent. Yeah, it is. And ultra-bloody. Yeah, it is. They don't shy away from this. One, uh, What was it? One of the Viltrumite soldiers got his guts cut out mm-hmm. and, presu- and got stuck to a wall. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's the end of that guy. Five minutes later, there's the dude literally holding his guts in as he's fighting. Yeah. It looks silly at some aspects, but that's how it's it's done. And like I say, they don't shy away from it from the comics. So if you've ever read a comic, you're used to this. Right. I know I was talking with some fans that are just only into the animated show. Sure. And we're like, what is this? I'm like, read the comics. Make a lot more I sense. I mean, if you watch season one, even if you haven't read the comics high like me, mm. by the by this point in season two, you should be used to it. Right. But I think just a lot of people came on late. Sure. Just, just for the simple sure. fact that you have to remember, when you have a show or movie return after so long. Yeah. Like, I think this is going to be something we have with House of the Dragon and and The Last of Us with HBO. Yes. You're going to have a lot of fans that forget and don't do rewatches. And listen, that's completely up to them. I'm not faulting them. But it's just something that when you take a break as long as they did, and they had one here or two with Invincible, that when you have a new audience that comes in, you need to kind of have that little explanation piece for it. But it still hit the marks it needed to. It still kept the story going on. You had the great supporting cast. You have the Guardians of the Globe trying to find themselves. But like I said, nobody really stood out to me other than Robot at this moment, even though they have some stor- some subplots going on. Adam Eve is still in, in play here and only really had like one episode that she really shined in. Mm-hmm. But they gave her a lot of screen time to do it. So, I mean, that's one thing. When you have such an ensemble cast, you have to juggle around. But I thought for what they had to do, they hit their marks for the most part and really set the tone for where we're going after this. Mm-hmm. Pat, you got to put a final grade on this. What would you say for season one part or season two part one? I'd say probably out of five, probably like a four out of five. You know, just that one episode really knocked it down for me. Other other than that, it's been phenomenal. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I'm in that four out of five, four point five range for this as well. Sure. Too. I think for what they wanted to do, it was pretty near perfect. I, the second episode, I understand why after reading enough superhero comics in my day, right? You want to try having that superhero theme of like uh, the uncomfortable situation, mm-hmm. and it, and I understood why it wasn't my favorite thing to see, but it did not take away from the overall four episodes that we've seen. And obviously having such fine voice acting and really elevating these characters from just being supporting cast members to having their own stories and really seeing the emotional range that it's shown. I mean, this is one thing that this show really excels at. And it's going to be a very, very long wait till we see everybody come back, but I'm hoping it's sooner than later, nevertheless. That being said, remember to go check out Invincible on Prime Video via Amazon Studios uh, on all streaming platforms right now. So definitely hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. Invincible season two, part one. It's a mouthful, but I got it right. What did you think about it? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break, though. We'll be right back. Hi, guys. This is Mac Room. I'm the writer of Infernogo Red, and you're listening to the ODPH podcast. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about, the first of which is some breaking news. Breaking? Breaking. Uh, this comes as an exclusive from the folks over at Deadline, and that is we have a writer for the upcoming Avengers The Kang Dynasty film. Oh. Uh, I would say it appears that rumors of its death were a little premature. Mm-hmm. Because the article does say, quote, 
Michael Waldron has been tapped to write Marvel Studios' Avengers the Kang Dynasty. Waldron has had already been set to write the installment that would follow Kang Dynasty and will now write both films. Waldron has become one of Marvel's most trusted creative minds, having previously created and served as showrunner of season one of Loki, as well as writing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And the move makes sense to the studio uh, to have him pen both films. Marvel studio Kevin president, Kevin Feige will produce uh, deadline recently broke that Daniel Dustin, Daniel Cretton would not be directing uh, the film in order to focus on his other Marvel projects like the TV series, wonder man uh, Avengers Kang dynasty is far on the theatrical release schedule dated to kick off summer on uh, May 1st, 2026, giving Waldron more than enough time to pen a script as the director search begins. The movie will proceed Avengers Secret Wars on May 7th, 2027, which will wrap up the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Phase 6 features. Uh, Waldron has been on quite a run after closing a multi-year mega deal with a combined overall with Marvel slash 20th uh, television for Waldron and his production company anomaly pictures across film and TV uh, on the TV side. They currently have a full slate under wraps. Waldron launched a new feature film and TV production company on anomaly pictures with his producing partner, Adam uh, Fasulo Waldron and Fasulo first met and became fast friends, developing and setting up the critically acclaimed series heels at stars. Mm. Uh, so yeah, Michael Waldron, uh, who, as they mentioned, worked on Loki, Dr. Strange. He was also was additional crew on Thor, love and thunder was a producer for 10 episodes on Rick and Morty from 2019 to 2020, uh, was an executive producer on a short in 2021 called the black hole. Also an executive producer for six episodes on a TV series called good game. Uh, and as they mentioned, he is the writer for the upcoming Avengers secret wars movies. Uh, so sounds like a good pick in my opinion. I love Loki season one and what they did with season two, uh, you know, and, and you got the same guy writing both, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars, recipe for success in my book. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I, I think for everybody that was jumping the gun, so to speak, about mm -hmm. they're going to get rid of Kang and go to Doctor Doom, I think this is you know a verification. Mm -hmm. I was going to say vindication, but I think this is more verification mm -hmm. that Marvel is staying the course about what they're doing. The sky is maybe not falling as right. much. Right, right. Uh, because obviously Loki has been such a big hit with fans. Yeah. That if they and this makes perfect sense too, because why would you switch up writers if you can if you can have the same voice on it? You know, yeah. this, this is something not not to get any Star Wars fans fired up. No, that's, you're, you're but, right. But this is the same reason why we said it was, it was they should have stuck with JJ for the th for last three movies, or gotten a separate writer, or got a separate writer to do all three. Yeah, like I say, when you try switching voices, yeah, like that midway through, you're going to come into problems. I think this is a smart play. Mm -hmm. I think this completely solidifies what they're doing, and I think that. If they wanted to slide in Doctor Doom for Secret Wars, they could still do that. They could. But I think for the Kang Dynasty, it makes all the sense in the world to have their Loki writing team behind it. Oh, I agree 100%. In terms of the whole Doctor Doom thing, uh, listen, I was not subscribing to this until I heard it. John Hamm for Doctor Doom, please. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many rumors going on. Just to touch upon this very, very quickly. Because John Hamm has said he wants to play Doctor Doom. He should. I, I saw it. I pictured him in the costume, and I went, mm, okay, I'm in. Like, there's the thing. There's so many great actors that could step into that role. Mm-hmm. And the one thing is, for everybody that's saying about the MCU fan base is superhero fatigue and all that nonsense. Sure. How many times a day do you see everybody losing their minds over Fantastic Four rumored casting? Yeah. 
I mean, Anna Taylor Joy is supposed to be connected. Yeah. We don't know what role she is going to play in this. Right. The Doctor Doom circle of names has gone around about who is going to be the actor to play him. Mm-hmm. Pedro Pascal being Mr. Fantastic, allegedly. Right. You know, like, for anybody that's saying the fatigue is, is a real thing, mm-hmm. look how many people are excited. They just want to see something new. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that for fans of the MCU – they haven't felt that yet, right? But they're going to once you get some of the bigger names involved, like the Fantastic Four and X Men. So mm-hmm. I think this is a good sign of Marvel is going to be just okay. Yeah, and we kind of go from there. I agree. Uh, switching over to a movie I saw this past week and give my little quick review of it. Uh, that would be The Hunger Games: The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Uh, this movie doing very well at the box office. It was number one at the box office last uh, two weekends ago now. Uh, the weekend it opened, uh, and it was number one this past weekend, the long Thanksgiving Day weekend. Uh, it was number one, beating out with uh, the, looking at the five-day numbers, uh, making $42 million over the weekend, bringing its total gross to $98,373,951, beating out the likes of Napoleon uh, at number two, Wish at number three, Trolls Band Together at number four, and Thanksgiving at number five. Uh, and then for the worldwide numbers, so domestically I mentioned a $98 million, Internationally, it's made $56,235,287 for a worldwide total of $154,609,238. And I got to say, this movie, I really enjoyed it. It's directed by Francis Lawrence, who did three out of the four previous Hunger Games movies. Okay. Uh, He did Catching Fire, the second one, and then he did Mockingjay Part 1 and Mockingjay Part 2, which were the third and fourth movies, respectively. So he's back to helm the the, uh, film. This movie, if you have not seen the previous Hunger Games movies, perfectly fine. This is a prequel. It takes place, if the math is right, if if I remember my math right, takes place about 60, 65 years before the events of the first movie. Don't need to know anything about the first movie or the first movies to go into this one. Although, again, doesn't, it helps. It helps. It doesn't hurt, but yeah. it, you know, it, it helps. Not 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 required though. And the movie is phenomenal. Like I said, two hours and thirty seven minutes. My only complaints with it is, you know, the middle part kind of slowed down a little bit and, and didn't really hit with me. I was kind of like, all right, where are we going with this? Mm-hmm. They did an interesting thing where they decided to split the movie up into three parts. Because it takes place over the course of, like, I guess you would say three parts of the main character uh, who is played by Tom Blythe as Coralina Snow. Mm -hmm. You know, it it takes place over three parts of his life in rapid succession. So that was kind of the only thing for me. Like, it kind of pulled me out of it for a little bit because it's like part one and then the title of whatever that part is. Part two and then part three. And I'm like, okay, this seems a little much. The middle part kind of felt a eh, little, little unnecessary, you know, because it's in between two action sequences and, and some major a- uh, action. Rachel Zegler as Lucy Gray Baird was phenomenal. You mm-hmm. know, a- awesome job in that voice. Tom Blythe was phenomenal. It, the character he plays was previously played by Donald Sutherland in the previous movies as, as his adult self. This is, you know, a teenage young adult self. You know, he's still in school. Following in the footsteps of Donald Sutherland are some rather large shoes to fill. Yeah, I was going to say that's a t- that's no easy task. He does. Tom Blythe does a phenomenal job. You, okay, you really get a sense if you know the character of President Snow and how much of a piece of shit he is. <laughs> I I would put him, and this isn't a spoiler. I would put him in the class of a, a Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. That like if something bad happens to that character, I don't feel any remorse. I'm like, okay, no, you you kind of fucking deserve this. Yeah. So Tom Life is phenomenal. Viola Davis, oh my god, 
I already adored the work she does, but she absolutely crushes in this movie and just is such a scene. She's fantastic. She steals so many scenes where it's just this crazy, manic, you know, seemingly on the edge of, of sense and reason, but she's always thinking like eight steps ahead. Mm-hmm. She's phenomenal in this, and then and then you can't go wrong because also uh, Peter Dinklage is in the movie as well. Peter Dinklage is amazing, but like I said, the movie's phenomenal. Cannot recommend it enough. Currently out in theaters. Definitely go see it if you're a fan of Hunger Games or if you're just looking for something fun to watch. Uh, and I will say, the theory I had about why the Hanging Tree song was uh, in the trailers. Yeah, you find out about that. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. So then moving on to some other bit of news, and this one I am cheering at. Dave Filoni over it. Take your victory lap pad. You put this into the world. I have been saying this for a while. I have been championing this and campaigning for this for a while, but it officially became true this past week. Dave Filoni is now Lucasfilm's chief creative officer. So reading from an article on EmpireOnline.com, it says, quote, he's been helping to shepherd the Star Wars universe on the small screen for years now, stepping up further following the launch of The Mandalorian, and Dave Filoni is now being recognized for his hard work. The man who began his journey as a mentee of George Lucas, bringing Clone Wars to screen, has has been made the chief creative officer at Lucasfilm. Quote, now I'm what's called chief creative officer of Lucasfilm, Filoni tells Vanity Fair. In the past, in a lot of projects, I would be brought into it. I would see it after it had ar- after it had already developed a good ways. Close quote. The new position will see him work more closely with Lucasfilm boss Kathleen Kennedy and head of, de- of development Carrie Beck, overseeing not just the TV galaxy but also the movies. Mm. Quote: In this new role, it's opened up to basically everything that's going on. Filoni says. When we're planning the future of where we're doing what we're doing now, I'm involved at the inception phase. Close quote. All of the movies announced at Star Wars Celebration are still in development and Filoni will be deeply involved, but not micromanaging. Quote, I'm not telling people what to do, Filoni explains, but I do feel I'm trying to help them tell the best story that they want to tell. I need to be a help across the galaxy here, like a part of the of a Jedi Council almost. Literally hours now of Star Wars storytelling I have done. See, I even phrased that like Yoda. Close quote. And while season two of Ahsoka, which was Filoni's brainchild, has yet to be officially confirmed, it's almost it's certainly looking a lot more likely now. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, and then there's a link to the Vanity Fair site for more information. But this is fucking phenomenal. I have been saying for years, Dave Filoni is the best storyteller Star Wars has right now. Mm-hmm. Big screen, small screen, anything in between. The man learned from the feet of George Lucas. Yeah. I inevitably can't wait for the day Filoni is ruining our childhood posts that are inevitably, inevitably going to come. Because <laughs> they'll come. Oh, yeah, there, of course. There were George Lucas's ruining my childhood ones in the early 2000s. There was Kathleen Kennedy's ruining my childhood, you know, in the 2010s. And now here we are in the 2020s. And then pretty soon it's going to be Dave Filoni's ruining my childhood. Those will inevitably come. It's part of Star Wars. Folks, there are people that hated Empire Strikes Back when it came out. Mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of folks who are like, oh, the thought it's always been the greatest movie of all. No, 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 no. There is evidence from photos that have been posted online from back in the 80s. Folks hated Star Wars. Yeah. Folks hated Empire Strikes Back. Hated it. So hating Star Wars is a time-honored tradition. But this this is the best move they could have done. Dave Filoni, like I said, it's, he's the best storyteller they've got. He gets it. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, look up Dave Filoni, Duel of the Fates on YouTube. It's a clip from the making of Mandalorian Season 1. And he's not even talking about anything Mandalorian. He's talking about how Duel of the Fates from... Uh, 
Phantom Menace means more than just, oh, it's good versus evil. There's so much more to it. And if you want to understand why I think that's a good reason, it's a good idea to have him as chief creative officer of Star Wars. Watch that video. That will show you everything you need to know. Yeah, he's the mad genius. Yes, he is. No question about it. Like, this is probably the smartest move they could have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got a trailer, switching over to some trailer news. Coming in 2024, the first of a three-part series of animated films, Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 1 is you, coming out. You know, this is the iconic storyline that has been done on the small screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully not on the big screen, because I think you'd have to do it in multiple parts on the big screen. Yeah. You know, obviously, Crisis is a very, very tricky story to do. Comic-wise, I mean, concept is great. Yeah. Execution, you know, like I say, everybody's got an opinion about it. Mm-hmm. Me, I think for DC, it's a very interesting concept, so I want. I'm very curious to see how they pull it off in the animated form. No, I am too. Uh, I'm pulling it up now. Looks like it is being directed by a gentleman named Jeff uh, Wainster. Who are pulling up his information? He his was on the animation department for Guardians of the Galaxy. That was the uh, Disney animated show. Uh, for 76 episodes, was a director on Justice Society, World War II, Justice League, War World, uh, was also the director on Green Lantern, Beware My Power. So he's been involved with a bunch. It was also on storyboard artist on the Avengers, Earth Mightiest Heroes in 2012. Hulk and the Agents of Smash was a character designer for two episodes in 2014, worked on Ultimate Spider-Man TV series on a number of roles from 2012 to 2015, so, and then Avengers Assemble, a uh, number of roles from 2012 to 2018. So he's got some experience experience with the animated superhero side of things. Uh, and then uh, some of the cast that is attached to this, you've got Darren Crist attached to Superman, Zachary Quinto reportedly a part of this. Uh, Jonathan Adams is voicing the monitor. And then you've also got Jimmy Simpson and Megan Donnelly. I, I'm, I'm interested to check this out. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, anytime you throw infinite earths on there, I'm going to check it out just for even like critiquing purposes. Sure. Cause like I say, the Arrowverse did a version of it mm-hmm. and I didn't think it was the worst. It was okay. It was okay. It needed to do what it needed to do. Yeah. But I, and obviously the comic is a whole different ball of wax. Yeah. I love the artwork though. Oh yeah. Always, always. Yeah. 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 I mean, for his, for his suspect and as questionable as the DC live action stuff can be not, not as of late, you know, the, well, exception of flash, the yikes, but the, the James Gunn stuff as good as that's been. The animation stuff, always top notch. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can never go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And like I say, but it's just, it's like one of those stories. Like, we talk about this all the time, too, with like Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. You know, and, <laughs> and and there's certain stories that you can't do on, on this kind of level. Shout out to Amon Vellani. She refuses to watch that movie. Oh, yeah. Which, smart lady. Like, listen, I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's smart. And like I say, to, to bring lady. the storyline from Marvel and, and and the legendary artwork of the late George Perez. Like this, it, this when you read it, the bar is raised. Ending, whole different ball of wax. But this is one, like I say, when you throw this out there, you're going to have eyes on the product. Mm-hmm. You got to deliver. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then lastly, certainly not least, we got an interesting update to a character's origin backstory. For yeah, now. yeah. For now. For now. For now, I don't expect this to stick, but uh, spoilers ahead. Uh, it was revealed in Uncanny Spider-Man issue number four, which dropped this past week, uh, November 22nd to be specific, that Spider-Man is now a mutant, or maybe he was always a mutant. Bum, bum, bum. Hmm. So you've got the ongoing saga of Nightcrawler playing another version of Spider-Man. Uh, you know, obviously you got the protests going on in New York City. 
one of the Stark Sentinels. Because, listen, I realize, Tony, if you're not keeping up with comics, there are Sentinels in New York that are parading around in Iron Man colors. Tony had nothing to do with it, but, well, Tony doesn't exactly have control of his company these days. Yeah. It, it, it's rough times for the guy. Uh, but the Sentinel shows up, scans one person, says, oh, hey, you're not a mutant. And then he scans Spider-Man. And he says, quote, alert, alert, genetic anomaly, mutant detected. And Spider-Man says, what? And then he says, listen, I'd be proud to be a mutant, but I'm just a friendly neighborhood science accident. So, and then the uh, Sentinel cuts in, surrender or be subdued. So it looks like, for now, Spider-Man is a mutant. Yeah, I mean, this is something that they've crossed a couple times in the past in Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, Spider-Man could be, and it would open up a lot of stories. I know they, because I just recently read through the entire Ultimate Spider-Man run. Yeah. Know, from the 2000s, from Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, I know they played around with the idea a couple times. Like, they hinted at it, but they never went full-blown into it. It was always like, eh, it, he could be, and eh, no, no, he's not. Well, I mean, that's the only thing that, that it, it's tough to do that mm-hmm. because Spider-Man is Spider-Man. Like, when you have a character that has an iconic story, yeah, like he does, yeah, giving him the mutant origin instead, I think, takes away from the character. Sure. Like, I understand why they do it, and especially you can go a lot of different places, and if you're focusing the character to be more closely tied to the X-Men for the movie purposes, I get it. Mm-hmm. But I think for in this instance, I don't think it will last for long. I think it was thrown out there to get some reaction, which, like, listen, it's, it's a great storyline idea. I'm not saying this was done for shock value. Mm-hmm. But I think that the way they're doing this is just kind of get the gauge in the room about, like, what people would react to it right? and see if there's a great story to go along with it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. And so that's why I say... I'm interested to see where they go. I don't think it's going to last because it's like to to me. If you know what's been going on with the story, with like who who controls Stark Unlimited because it's not Stark Industries, it's Stark Unlimited. Yeah, and who's running that company and kind of the motivations and the machinations they inevitably will have going on behind the scenes. It wouldn't surprise me that like those because I want to keep it spoiler free in case you haven't read it, mm-hmm. you know, or haven't kept you know been fully kept up. But like it it would make sense given who's in control for them to have like manipulated some stuff yeah. or like, cause you got to figure this is drawing from a database of some kind that like they manipulated the database in some capacity that like, Oh, it'll read like this. Cause I want to get the, I want to get, you know, everyone to turn on all of the heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fully agree with you, especially now going into the end of the Krakoan era next year. Yeah. I think we're going to see a lot more stories kind of, borrowing a little bit from that idea yeah could be and like listen i'm just i'm excited to see where they're going to go with the end and i think if they can tie spider-man in with that i'm more open to that idea mm-hmm. so that said i mean obviously it's a big week at the comic shop pad what are you picking up got a couple things uh, one from uh, dc one from marvel and then one from the fine folks over at dynamite comics from dc action comics issue number 1059 of course philip k johnson's still writing this and this is Men of Steel. And you've got Steel on the cover. And then you've got Superman in kind of a steel costume, rocking a sword. Uh, description of this reads, quote, As the forces of Nora Stone's Blue Earth take control of Metropolis, Superman dusts off his war world weapons and armors up alongside Steel to take their city back. Can even the House of El defeat this potent new threat? Meanwhile, the shocking true identities of Nora Stone's mysterious family are revealed, building up to a battle royal for the ages, a pivotal issue not to be missed, 
plus the conclusion to the Gene Lunyang and Victor Bogdanovich new Superman of Metropolis. And Dan Parent, Kevin, uh, Kevin Keller, explores the world of John Kent like never before. Super interested to see what happens with this. And uh, yeah, the Warworld costume is back. Oh boy. Yeah, that's oh boy. that cover is looking amazing. And then from the folks over at Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man, Gang War First Strike, issue number one. John Romina's on the cover art of this one. You got Zeb Wells is the author. Joey Vasquez is the artist of the issue. And this one reads Prelude to Gang War. The super crime landscape of New York has been on edge. This issue, they jump over that edge. What incites the war? Who hired shotgun and took out Tombstone? What, if anything, can Spider-Man do about it? Everything you need to know before Gang War officially kicks off next month is here. Should also know there's a couple tie-in issues with that as well. There is the one or uh, Spider-Woman and Luke Cage uh, Gang War tie-ins as well. Mm. So that's definitely something to check out because Gang War, I get the feeling is going to be all sorts of crazy. I, I'm here for it because I I need something like that for my Spider-Man mm-hmm. stories. Like I want I want to get back to that street level. St- craziness yeah and then lastly certainly not leastly from the folks over at dynamite comics no it's not gargoyles it is 007 for king and country oh that's your book from philip k johnson yep. this one reads quote there will always be in england final issue it comes down it all comes down to this bond versus marimden no holds barred no quarter given Super excited for this. The Bond comics, if you don't read and you're even a casual Bond fan, mm-hmm. you don't need to have seen every movie. These comics are phenomenal. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like I say, you are very excited about it. You champion those uh-huh. quite often. And like I say, uh, Philip K. Johnson is always putting in solid work. Yeah, he always. Is. Yep. So my picks this week, uh, starting at DC, we have a new event taking place. Uh-oh. Titans Beast World, number one. I thought you were going to say Beast Wars. You know, I, I have said that a couple times as a Freudian slip. Ah. It's just, I mean, obviously Beast Wars is Beast Wars. Acknowledge Beast Wars. Yes, but this is Beast World. It's Tom Taylor. And this is the first time the Titans are taking the center stage as the premier superhero team for DC yes. in their crossover. So this is one I definitely am excited to check out. Also from DC this week, Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, number two. Ooh. Great uh, first issues. Really excited to see this uh, story of, obviously, one of the biggest franchise players of the JSA. Mm-hmm. So definitely excited about that. Penguin, number four. I'm really liking the take Tom King's doing with this book. So nice. I'm, I'm excited to see it because, obviously, the Penguin can be a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. But if he's written well, I mean, there's a lot of great stories you can go. And, and Tom King, I like the setup he does bringing that crime noir style to it. Right. So I'm excited to see what's happening here. Over on the Marvel side of things, X-Men Blue Origins. So this is kind of taking a deep dive into Nightcrawler. Obviously, uh-huh. the uh, as we were talking about, the uncanny Spider-Man. So this one, I mean, the cover looks really, really interesting. So I'm definitely excited to check that out. Also, from Marvel, like you touched upon, the Gang War spinoffs are definitely catching my attention as well. And Captain America number three with JMS on the writing duties. Very excited to go pick that up and see what's going on there. There's a lot of this happening at Marvel, too. Like I say, they got some really interesting books coming out. I say Star Wars, too. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi for you. Yeah, yeah. That's the adaptation of the uh, TV show. Mm-hmm. And obviously, The Last Days of Moon Knight, too, with Jed McKay writing. Uh, Howard the Duck, number one. Chip Zdarsky is involved. Oh, boy. That's enough for me. Like I say, I don't need that much. I just need to know Chip Zdarsky is doing Howard the Duck, and I'm going to go pick that up. So that's something I'm definitely keeping an eye on for. Uh, Comicsology Original, speaking of uh, Chip Zdarsky, The All-Nighter, number 12, continuing their their final story arc. So a lot of good things happening there. Black Sight, number three. Stephanie Phillips, enough said. You just go buy it. It's great. It's it, Like I say, 
you see her on a tagline for a book, you just go pick it up. You know you're going to get your money's worth. Because that's what I'll be doing at the comic shops, or the digital comic shop, that is, this week. On the flip, on the uh, image side of things, very quickly, Local Man number 7 is coming out. This has been a great series. It's definitely gaining a lot of attention, and rightfully so. If you like a throwback to the 90s, mm-hmm. this is perfect. I love this book. I think that the, what uh, Tony Fleeks and Tim Seeley are doing here is just absolute vintage magic, and I love this series. Eden Wood number two, Tony Daniels, uh, like really interesting supernatural book that's going on. A lot of cool things to expect from this. Issue number one was wild, so I can only imagine where we're going issue number two. Kaya number 13 kicks off the new story arc by Wes Craig, so excited about that. The Schlub number four. I know everybody at the Nerd Initiative bullpen is raving about this series, so I know they're all going to be talking about this as well. Crave number one, kind of an interesting book that is going to be hitting the shelves too. And Firepower number 29, I believe. Oh. Because we're getting up there near the end of the series. I know that they have announced that it will be wrapping up. So this is one, obviously, Robert Kirkman, Chris Samney. This is going to be one you want to keep your eyes out for via Skybound Entertainment. So obviously they are doing big, big things over there. On the Boom Studio side of things, very quickly, a lot of series are kind of wrapping up a little bit. Alice Never After. So this is Dan Pinozin's uh, take on Alice in Wonderland. It's a wild series. I think you're going to absolutely dig it. If you The conclusion, if you've been reading along, I, you know this is going to be a wild ending. That's why I say you're going to really dig this. If you haven't checked this series out, I mean, if you want something different that kind of twists your, uh, an old fairy tale, if you will, mm-hmm. this is going to be one you want to check out. Sirens of the City, number five, is also uh, finishing up to uh, Joanne Starr and Kari Randolph's uh, really interesting supernatural horror tale. Uh, this is going to be something that I think fans are going to be talking about. We're going back to the Berserker storyline hey. with uh, Keanu Reeves there with Berserker Fallen Empire number one. And obviously two of my favorite books at Boom. I, I scream about these all the time. Like I said, Stephanie Phillips writing. I pick it up. But I will say it's the coolest book at the shops each time it drops. Grim number 15. Flaviano, Rico Renzi, Tom Napolitano. Uh, like I say, this is a perfect book. Like I say, I love the creative team on this. And they just this book is just cool. Like every time you pick this issue up, an issue of Grim up, it's just it's a vibe, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's it's an energy, it's indescribable. Like I say, there's just a lot of wind that is happening with this, so definitely excited about that. And then last but not least on my list, something is killing the children. Number thirty five. Hey So if you read thirty four, you know some big things are happening. Erica versus Cutter. Um, let's fucking go. Yeah, I actually had to drop an F-bomb. That's how amped up I am for this. Because what they do is the slow burn better than everybody. And I tell you right now, if you are not picking up something that's killing the children this week, that might be arguably like on the top of my list this week of stuff to check out. Just because I am so excited to see where we're going with this. Because I fully expect it's going to go into some very, very crazy places. And anytime that we get to those finales in the slaughter verse, if you will, they always deliver. Mm-hmm. So for that and much more, nerdinitiative.com on Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Every hour on the hour till the bullpen and stop writing about the books you need to pick up this week. I know we got the top 10 most anticipated books by the Comic Concierge up right now. And Tuesday, we got a little something else dropping there, too. So you want to keep an eye out for that. So like we like to say, to end all our comic coverage Make sure to go out and support your LCS wherever you're at because especially this time of year, it, just go in and go get some books. Yeah. You go get some trade paperbacks. Go go support. Check out some back issues. Yeah, go support them. So like, go, honestly, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now. Go to your local comic shop. 
Go check the back issues and go check for the current run of Iron Man. Yeah. You will not regret it. Some phenomenal writing. Absolutely. No, that's a great that, – that'll be the homework assignment this week. Maybe we'll do some swag giveaway. I don't know. We'll, we'll think of something for that. If you guys are out of the shops, definitely let us – shout your shout your shops out too. And I will always end with this as well for the holiday season especially. Pay up your pull list. Uh-huh. Don't let them go unpaid through the holidays. Get your stuff caught up for the holidays. Start the new year off fresh because it absolutely means the world to the comic shop owners when you pay that up. Don't let it get too out of control. Just putting that out there as a PSA, folks. And just make sure to go support them on New Comic Book Day as you're listening to the latest edition of the ODPH Podcast. Because for anything and everything, it is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Vote for the Cheersies. We'll see you next time.